Hey, I'm Greg Kinn, and I'm coming up next on On Screen and Beyond. Yes, I know, the pressure's on. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 173, and this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming away as far as movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, it's music time. We have a guest from the 80s. Greg Kinn is going to be joining us of the Greg Kinn Band. He had the hits Jeopardy and, of course, also the breakup song, They Don't Write Them, and all sorts of other stuff. He's got a new release out called Kinpleet. It's in stores now. You can get it. Uh, actually, it's a digital release, so you can get it online and everything. and Just download it. And it's got a lot of acoustic versions of songs. It's got some uh, studio versions. It's got the uh, live versions. It's a great compilation, so you might want to check that out. And it's called Complete. And Greg's going to be joining us in a few minutes to talk about that and his rock and roll era and all that sort of stuff. And I uh, hope you'll stick around for that. If you get a chance, like us on Facebook, or if you're on iTunes, leave us a little review there. And uh, the more you put up there, the better chances of other people hearing about On Screen to Be On. And we can let all these other people enjoy the interviews of the past that we have because they're all still available from number one to 172. They're all available at onscreenandbeyond.com or by going to iTunes. So uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you get a chance. Anyways, let's check out what's coming away as far as Remake Madness next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness, well, we've got some new news and some updates on some information about remakes. The Saturday morning cartoon Voltron is headed for the big screen, and the remake of Escape from New York that we've talked about in the past has been dropped for the time being. And the remake of The Evil Dead is in the works, and they say Bruce Campbell will make a cameo. He won't be the star, but he'll make a cameo. That's about it for Remake Madness. Coming up next, what's coming up uh, in Fire's Movies, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming movies, well, it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger will star in The Last Stand on January 18th, 2012, and he will play a retired LAPD cop living in Mexico. And Shia LaBeouf will star in The Company You Keep with director Robert Redford at the helm of this political thriller. And it looks like Tom Cruise will star in One Shot. It's about a former military police investigating a sniper incident. That's about it for upcoming movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming away as far as sequels right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, Robert Rodriguez says that Sin City 2 is currently in the scripting stage and will be made. And Rodriguez also says that he has been given the green light for two sequels to Machete. It'll be called Machete Kills and then Machete Kills Again. Those are creative titles. We'll see if they stick with those. And the Silver Samurai will be the villain in Wolverine 2, according to Hugh Jackman. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. 
TV on DVD? Well, December 27th, you can look for Archer Season 2 on DVD. And on August 9th, TV Cops and Private Eyes brings you classic 50s episodes of hit shows on DVD. And there's about 20 of them. So check those out. A lot of classics there. And September 6th, you can get the complete second season of Community in a four-disc set. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, well, August 23rd, you can check out Closed for the Season. It lands on DVD as a horror film set in an abandoned theme park. That's what that one's about. And Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which isn't even out yet, is slated for a December release on DVD. And Larry Crown with Tom Hanks comes to DVD in November. So check those out. And coming up next on On Screen to Beyond, we have our interview with 80s rocker Greg Kinn. Back in the 80s, he had hits like Jeopardy and the breakup song, They Don't Write Them. And that's uh, just the beginning of it because he has a new release out called Kin Pleat. It's got uh, studio versions. It's got uh, acoustic versions and live versions. And he's going to talk about all that. It's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is a singer-songwriter who in the 80s had such hits as The Breakup Song, They Don't Write Them, and Jeopardy. His latest release is called Kinplete. It's Greg Kin. Greg, thank you for joining us on On Screen and Beyond. Hey, Brian, it's my pleasure to be here. Greg, when I saw you had the album come out, or, see, I'm showing my age when I say album. I, I apologize. Yeah, we referred to it like it was vinyl, man. I know. You've got to think of these things as like some kind of a digital file somewhere. Right. <laughs> You know, you get all these years, you know, you get used to, to, to vinyl and albums and, and, you know, then CDs oh, and everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing about vinyl was that you it demanded your respect. You had to treat your records with respect. Remember, you never oh, yeah. lent them to your little sister because she'd scratch them up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't leave them in the car on a hot day because they would warp. You know, you had to take care of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember, they used to make ashtrays out of, out of them? They'd heat them oh, up. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And, of course, those album covers were handy for all kinds of different things. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways, Greg, uh, your your new release, let's call it a release, uh, yeah. digital, complete. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, great, great release. Uh, it's uh, I was listening to it, and it's got some great songs on it. Well, you know, uh, we I had gotten to the point, I didn't realize how much great music we had in the can um, that was unreleased. You know, for instance... Most people are not even aware that Joe Satriani was in the Greg Kin Band mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years. I mean, it, most people are not even aware of that. Um, most people are not aware that my son is my current lead guitar player in the band now and that he was a former student of Joe Satriani. There was a lot of interesting stuff, so I started looking through all of our, you know, the archives, and I realized, I said, man, we got two, three albums worth of material here, and it's killer. We got stuff with Satriani. We got stuff with Jimmy Lyon on guitar. We got stuff with my son on guitar. We got early stuff going back to uh, the Jeopardy days. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, this uh, there's like there was a legacy, and I felt like, well, you know, this stuff ought to be out there. People be, ought to be able to buy this. You know, oh, yeah. not only if you were just a Greg Kinn uh, fan, but if you were a Satriani fan, or whether you just like good tunes, um, we should have made it available. So, you know, one thing led to another, and I did a lot of comp- uh, you know compiling. I went through a million uh, a million old live shows that we had on tape mm-hmm. and i think i came up with uh well it's three cds it was i was trying to hone it down to two but that was hopeless so <laughs> i got a three cd set it's all killer material um i did some interesting stuff on there like for instance there's a song called little red book mm-hmm. that i recorded back in like 85 with joe satriani little red book by the way an interesting song was you probably remember it by a group called love out of L.A., they had a version of it, but it was originally written by Burt Backrack, and it was part of the soundtrack for What's New Pussycat, believe mm. it or not. Mm. Yeah, and in the movie, the song is, produ- is uh, performed by Manfred Mann. And I listened to, you know, we kind of rocked it up a little bit. In fact, when Satriani got done, it sounded more like a Hendrix song. Yeah. But so I thought, you know, and, and this was something that we had done God, decades ago, and I forgot all about it. I said, man, this track is great. we got to put this out. So I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and then I find, you know, maybe a year later, I find a live version uh, of the same song with Joe Satriani that we did, I think, in New York City, and he just rips a soul. I mean, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. So I said, well, i got to put this live version out. And then I'm fishing around a little bit more, and then I find the same song with my son, now the lead guitar player, playing a completely different idea, like taking off where Joe stopped and taking it a step further. So I said, you know what? I'm putting all three versions of this on the album. I don't care what people say. I think it's cool. Oh, yeah. You can hear it, you can hear it by one guy and then hear what a difference it is with a different guitar player. Yeah, I think it's great. And, and, and I like the way that you've split the, the uh, release up in studio versions, acoustic versions, and live versions, and included, like you say, uh, several versions of it. And, and it's always, you know, to hear those little gems that, are changed because of being acoustic or being uh, live. It's, it's it's really neat to hear those. Yeah, you know, I I spent you know we back in the old days, we were real concerned about how things sounded. You know, you go into the studio and you were always trying to capture the sound of the band because you know nowadays and even back you know even back in the mid eighties, there was this tendency to record everything on a different track and control everything and have everything be perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, and I remember when we were in Fantasy Studios, and down the hallway from us, uh, Journey was recording in Studio D, which which was uh, incredible, the the top-of-the-line studio, state-of-the-art. And we were down in Studio B down the hallway, which was where Credence recorded their albums, and they called it the room that Credence built. Uh-huh. And it was a little hole-in-the-wall studio, like a third the size of the other one. and had old analog machines in there, but we got it for cheap. So we're down there working in, on one end of the hall, <laughs> old school, and down the hallway from us, there's Journey, and they're, you know, they're cutting Don't Stop Believing, and it sounds like a million bucks. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, you know, uh, recording has completely changed. When I first started, you got a bunch of guys in a room. You might have set up two or three mics. He just hoped it would sound good. 
And by the time I got out of the game, it was everything had its own track. Mm -hmm. And I went back to remix a lot of the complete album, and I realized that, man, we got stereo spread on Joe Satriani's guitar. That's outrageous. Yeah, jeez. So how did you begin your musical career? Did you just decide one day that that's what you wanted to do, or...? Well, you know, I'd always been musically inclined ever since I was a little kid. And when I was 13, uh, a, a friend of the family gave me a guitar that he had found. Uh, it was just an old piece of crap guitar. The neck was cracked, and I, and I screwed it back together again. And I guess I, I kept playing it so much and driving my parents crazy that they, they took me down to the pawn shop, and I bought a used Harmony guitar. I must have been 14 years old at the time, and I started learning chords, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and right about that time, the whole British invasion happened, and I happened to already know three chords. You know, those three chords served me well. <laughs> I've been playing the same three chords my whole life, and I realized that 90% of the Beatles songs and the Stones songs and and 90% of the country songs and all the blues songs had the same three chords. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a revelation, revelation to me. You know, I realized there's truth here in these three chords. You know, a friend of mine, Joan Jett, told me this, and it's really a true thing. Joan says, look, everybody gets the same three chords. It's what you do with them. Right. Yeah. You know, and that really, that sums it all up. So we got lucky. Uh, we hit the bullseye a couple times. I consider myself one of the luckiest guys on the planet. Yeah. Of course, your first big hit was uh, the breakup song, They Don't Write Them. Was that your first actual release, or was that your, just your first actual big hit? No, that was our first hit. That was on our seventh album, man. Wow. So that was un that would be unheard of today that you would cut seven albums before you had your first hit. Mm -hmm. Now back in the old days, FM radio would play album cuts, right? Yep. And you didn't have to have hit singles per se. You could go out there and put out a really good album, and and some of the FM stations around the country would play it, and then you could go to that town and play a club. And uh, you know that's how we started in the early days. It was a you know it was just really hand to mouth. We go right. out and work work real hard, make an album, do a tour, work real hard, come home, make another one, do it all again. And I remember where I was and what I was doing when I first heard that Jeopardy was number one. Mm -hmm. I was, we were on the road. In fact, we were on the road with Journey, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? We had our own tour bus. We had, we used to go, we'd stray from the tour, you know, we'd, We'd go sightseeing, and we'd just go out and get lost occasionally. And we were in between cities, and we were at Custer's Last Stand mm -hmm. at the Little Bighorn. Yeah. Is that South Dakota uh, or Montana? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. But we were at Custer's Last Stand at the Little Bighorn. And, you know, because we're driving down the highway, and here comes a sign, Custer's Last Stand, next right. I said, hey, let's go there. And, you know, the guys, we, we, you know, we get into it. Well, we were in the gift shop. You know, checking things out, and uh, they had a payphone there. Of course, this was before the age of cell phones. True. <laughs> and we thought, well, let's just call the record company, see how the record's doing. And we called them up, and they said, "You're not going to believe this. You're number one this week." And man, I'm telling you, we we just went crazy. They had a 
we found the closest bar and we ordered up a couple of pitchers of margaritas and we just got tanked. <laughs> what so, a feeling. And, and I can imagine. I mean, I, I can't imagine, really. Uh, it's great. But obviously, I mean, the the song, you know, was a monster hit and it, it also was redone uh, in parody by uh, Weird Al. So you know when Weird Al does one of your songs, you guys have made it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because, he, you know, it's like he wouldn't make fun of you unless you were well-known enough right. to be made fun of. So it was very flattering when Weird Al called. I, I really loved, first of all, I love Weird Al. He's a great guy, and he's really a truly funny guy. Mm-hmm. And when he called me up, he said, you know, I got an idea for, for Jeopardy. I just jumped on it. I said, man, I would love that. Anything I could do to help you out, course i i did make an appearance in the video of i lost on jeopardy mm-hmm. and i also got to meet don pardo which was pretty cool wow yeah yeah you know he goes let me tell you what you didn't win you know, <laughs> it was pretty cool uh that song put two of my kids through college wow and uh continues to uh give me mailbox money um just uh, last year it was used on the oh, two years ago it was on the Sopranos mm-hmm. it's been in a bunch of movies uh, and uh, you know between that and the breakup song that mailbox money just keeps rolling in oh yeah yeah jeez it, now, it's a wonderful thing now, did it you, really is did you write that yourself or was it a couple you know a couple of guys in the band or how does that yeah work? it was it was a, it was me and Steve uh, Steve Wright Steve the bass Wright. player yeah. and we you know, we used to write, you know, we get ideas. We'd write a song a day back in the old days. Wow. You know, when you're young, you're full, you're, you know, you got, you're full of piss and vinegar. Right, yeah. And you just, you know, you want to write a song a day. And, and that's what we did. And, you know, sometimes, every once in a while, you hit the bullseye. Mm. I remember the day we wrote Jeopardy, Steve had just bought one of those newfangled Casio keyboards. they just come out. This was back in uh, 83. Mm-hmm. And it had a little drum machine in there. Yeah. And he came over and says, you got to check this out. He comes over to my house. He hits the drum machine. He starts playing these chords. And it was the chords of Jeopardy. And out of the clear blue sky, and I wasn't thinking about it or anything, I just started singing Our Love's in Jeopardy, baby. And it, the whole song wrote itself in like 15 minutes. Wow. So there, there was nothing. The, I mean, we were watching Jeopardy. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> No, but you know what? I have been a question on Jeopardy, which I consider a great honor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were the answer to a question yeah. on Jeopardy. <laughs> but, you know, the, all the great songs seem to get written in 15 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can the imagine. Ones you, the ones you sweat over, they're not that good. Yeah. 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 They don't come right to you. Now on on your new new release, um, you know, obviously Jeopardy was a huge hit and, and and the breakup song and everything. But personally, for you yourself, what is your favorite cut on that whole whole compilation? Oh well, I, that's an easy one. I love the breakup song. I love the uh 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 mm-hmm. because it it translates into any language. Yeah, and believe me, I have sung that song in Japan in Germany, in Holland, in France, where people don't know what the hell I'm talking right, about. Right, yeah. <laughs> but they hear the uh, 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 and they get into it. Yeah. You know, they'll come up to me. I've been walking down, you know, I could be walking down the street in China, and somebody will walk up and go, hey, you that guy that go, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and it's pretty cool, you know. Oh, it's yeah. It's nonverbal. 
you know, you know, the funny story, I never really intended to put those uh-uhs in there. I was just doing it to take up the space before I wrote additional lyrics. Hmm. But the band loved it so much, they said, man, you, this is it. This is the deepest thing you ever wrote. I'm thinking the deepest <laughs> thing I ever wrote is uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not saying too much. <laughs> Well, you know, it is a song that's infectious. Now, at the concerts, do they do they sing along with you when you oh, do that? Oh, yeah. I can yeah, imagine. Yeah, they sure do, and, and it's a lot of fun. And we usually close the show with that one. You'd think we'd do Jeopardy at the end, but the breakup song just seems to have a life of its own. And um, as soon as I start that guitar riff, you know, that ba-da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. you know, people just jump up and they just start going crazy. So that... That's one of, I think, I look back on my career, I'm, I think I'm more proud of that song than any of the other ones, although there's a lot of them that I love still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, what is it like having your son now playing with you? I mean, it must be quite a thrill, I would think. Oh, yeah, it is a thrill, and I, I'm real proud of that boy. He is a great guitar player. Uh, as I said, he was an early student of Joe Satriani when Joe was in the band back when Rye was like 13 or 14. And then from there, he went to the Berkeley School of Music in Boston. Boston and yeah. then he graduated from Cal Arts as a jazz guitar major. That That's the Disney school down there in L.A. That's, uh, that turns out a lot of great musicians. So this kid, I mean, he's scary because he can read music and stuff. <laughs> you know, my guy's... Come on, we don't read music. We, we only know three chords. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember this is a funny story. Way back in the in the early days, when we were just starting out as a band, and I, you know, I I was a you know playing acoustic guitar, and he wanted me to get an electric guitar and be a rhythm guitar player. So I can't be in a court. I I remember telling the other guys, I can't be in a band, man. I only know three chords: A, D, and E. And and it took me aside to Greg. That's all there is. <laughs> you don't have to worry. That's all there is. Yeah. Now, does your son ever correct you and say, you know, you're not doing this right? Or oh anything? God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, he's tough on his dad, and he, he he demands. You know, he's playing perfect. He demands perfection. In fact, he's the one that that demands that we go and rehearse. You know, after all these years, the band. Getting us to rehearse, it's kind of like getting the Stones to rehearse, right? Right. What do we want to rehearse for? We've been playing these songs forever. Right, yeah. But no, Rye would say, no, no, we got to tighten this up. We're going to work out a new song over here. We're going to rearrange this. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, next week we got a rehearsal, and then uh, the Kinsert is coming up August 3rd at the Shoreline Amphitheater. And then guess where I'm going to go next week? Take a wild guess. Just you're, you'll never guess. I'll just, i got to tell you, man. Wait. Are you ready for this, Brian? Go ahead. I'm going down to L.A. I've written uh, a TV series. I've written a script. And I'm going down with my agent to pitch it to four of the major networks, Fox, ABC, HBO, and uh, Mark Goodman Productions. We're going to shoot for to actually have. And I've written this thing. From top of, I've already written the entire uh, the entire first season, mm-hmm. so I have the scripts ready to go. But we're pitching this thing. It's called Forty Five RPM. It takes place in nineteen sixty two, 
and it's about the mafia in the music business. Ah, okay, sort of like uh, I had uh, Tommy James on the show, and of course... It's he... exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, same As way. a matter of fact, one of the guys that's consulting with me on this is Kenny Laguna. Kenny Laguna is an old buddy of mine. I've known him for like 20 years. He was in the Shondells. Ah, okay, he and so he knows. Player. <laughs> he know well, he worked for you know, you cheek by cheek and jowl with Tommy, and he said, uh, you know, the both of them guys have stories to tell like you would not believe. Mm. And, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, and I, I won a talent contest on a local radio station, and I kind of know what kind of, be, you know, what kind of uh, people you can attract. And, you know, of course, Baltimore was a mob town. We had the block. Uh, and I saw a lot of this stuff firsthand. So I, I sat down and I, and I wrote myself a TV series, and I think you're going to really like it. Now, is it a comedy, drama, or... How? No, it's a drama. It's it is... kind of like, it visualize, it, you know, it's a period piece, mm -hmm. 62. So yeah. you've got to think Mad Men, okay? Yeah. think that it's got a look and a feel that's very 60s looking. You know, everybody was smoking, everybody had, you know, really cool hair, they were dressed up, the chicks were, you know, high heels, and... Mm -hmm. It was a different look. It, it's kind of like The Sopranos with guitars. Yeah, yeah. And it's based on Morris Levy and Roulette Records and the Brill Building and what was going on in those days, just before the payola scandal, which mm -hmm. had chased a lot of these guys out of the business. Uh, and you know what? I just, It was so much, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, and this was so much fun to write that I just started out as an idea. Before I knew it, I'd written like, you know, three whole uh, episodes before I even came up for air. I said, this thing writes itself. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that sounds interesting because um, uh, this show is uh, on screen and beyond, so we're, you know, big screen, little screen, and music, so that, yeah, that's well, great. Yeah, we got here we're reuniting it all, so it's good. I'm really excited about that, and hopefully... We'll talk again in a few months. Yeah. Uh, I'll have something really cool to report. Or yeah. or I'll fall flat on my face and nothing will happen. Well, you never know. Without trying. You never know, but you know what? you got to try. That's right. Yeah. Well, Greg, I know we're running low on time. If you got a, just a few minutes for, for a minute or so for just some quick questions to finish up? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, just one question about all, all your records, or mo most of your, your discs that you came out with were, like, continued, conspiracy, contagious. Who, who came up with the idea of doing it? I mean, it's a great concept, uh, but who, who oh. came up with the idea? Well, the original idea, like I cut the first album, Greg Kent, and then we were going to make the second album. We didn't know what to call it. So Matthew Kaufman, who was my manager at the time, said, well, why don't you just call it Greg Kent again? Okay, so we put that out. And everybody was thinking, well, what are you going to call the third album? And my mother, of all people, she said, why don't you call it Next of Kin? That's kind of cute. Yeah, that's great. That was a good one, yeah. And then we were stuck. I mean, it was like, okay, from now on, every album that you make has got to have Kin in the title. <laughs> so we, God, I mean, what do we make, 15 albums or something? I mm -hmm. mean, there was Contagious, yep. Continued, Citizen Kin. Right. Uh, uh, rock and Roll. Can, rock and Roll, Consolidation. <laughs> uh, it goes on and on yeah. and on. In yeah. fact, the new one's called Complete. That's right. And that's the three CD set. I guess I'm cursed. You know, I'm never going to be able to put out an album <laughs> and not have some kind of goofy... You know, we, we made a few. 
Oh yeah. Uh, we but they didn't have kid in the title, but they didn't sell, so we went right back to kid. Yeah. Hey, hey, if it works, keep it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I say. Yeah. Um, final questions. Um, favorite TV shows of all time. What do you enjoy? Oh God. Love the Dick Van Dyke show when I was a kid. Classic, yeah. Love that. And I love classic sitcoms like MASH and Cheers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that stuff. Favorite show, though? God, you know? Uh, well, I was Trekkie. I love all the Star Treks. Yeah. I guess that shows my nerd side. <laughs> Favorite show of all time? Okay. I got two favorites, and they're both a little obscure. That's fine. One of them was called Crime Story. Yes, I remember that, yeah. And it was very style. I believe it was a Michael Mann production. Um, and I loved it because it, it was like, it, you know, it took place in Vegas and it had mm-hmm. the mob and it was just a cool thing. Yeah. And there was another show called Dark Skies. Oh, yeah, I love that show. <laughs> that was a science fiction show that was running about the same time as The X-Files, except that uh, it was basing a lot of the s- historical things on... UFOs and aliens. Mm-hmm. It was a really well thought out and well written show. Oh yeah, with the beat, they had the Beetle put... one there, the Beetle episode. Yep, right. that was unbelievable. Yeah. and you know what? Every show that I love, they take off the air. So if I don't like it, <laughs> it probably, that means it's going to be on for twenty. That's years. That's exactly what I always say. <laughs> yeah. If you like it, watch out. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, uh, final question: favorite movie of all time. Uh, favorite movie of all time? That's easy, The Godfather. Godfather, yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah, well, Greg, uh, I, I I love this the the new release, uh, complete. People should definitely get it. Uh, it now is it only digital? Uh, yeah, right now it is. Eventually, it will also come out in CD. But right now, you can get it at iTunes mm-hmm. or wherever digital music is downloadable. Um, you can always start at my website, gregkin.com. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, and uh, I really appreciated talking to you. This was a very interesting conversation, Brian. <laughs> Greg Kin, want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us. A great guest, and uh, if you get a chance, check out Complete because it's a got a lot of great songs on it and uh, Jeopardy's on there and it's live versions and acoustic versions and uh, also uh, uh, studio versions so it, it's just a, a great compilation you might, you might want to check that out you can download it at uh, he said iTunes and Amazon go right to his website Greatkin website and uh, you can get it and I want to thank him so much for taking the time it's about time to wrap up another episode of On Screen and Beyond, but I want to let you know that uh, if you get a chance, uh, you know, check out onscreenandbeyond.com and you can find out uh, all sorts of stuff that's going on. And you can find, go to our book nook and things, and you can find uh, reviews of books that uh, the uh, so a lot of the guests have uh, written on On Screen and Beyond or other things that are you know they've done. That you can check those out there. And also, you can check out of our movie reviews and our CD, uh, DVD reviews and everything. So uh, check it out at onscreenandbeyond.com. If you get a chance and you're on iTunes, leave us a, a review there. It'll help other people know that we're out there. And also, if you are, are on Facebook, like us. We're out there. So, uh, Also, I want to thank all the people who sent me birthday wishes and greetings and everything, uh, either on email or some people left them on Facebook. Some people found me on Facebook as opposed to just on screen and beyond. Uh, so uh, I appreciate that very much. 
And uh, let's see, uh, guests coming up in the next few weeks on On Screen and Beyond. We've got a whole bunch coming your way. And I'm also in talks with some people. I've been talking with Dawn Wells of uh, Gilligan's Island. She played Mary Ann. And Dawn has agreed to be a guest on On Screen and Beyond. We're just trying to work out. Uh, she's got a really busy schedule. And it turns out the couple of times we've tried and, you know, she's been able to do it, but I haven't been able to. And we're just sort of knocking things around, trying to catch up and uh, Line up the, the interview. So uh, I hope within the next few weeks we'll be able to have Don on the show. So if you if, if you have any uh, you know questions you'd like to ask Don, you can send it to me at feedback at onscreenbeyond.com. And uh, as soon as we do get her on as a guest, we will use some of those questions. So uh, we thank you very much. And it's just about time to finish up this episode of On Screen and Beyond because it's a wrap. And I hope you'll join me next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. Take care. Thank you.